Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. No, Chuck. And uh, we have a guest this week, Chuck, but <laughs> we have a guest that we can show their face. So right. we're having a live guest. Yeah, this is the first time in history that I think yeah. that we've had a live guest. So we'll see how it goes and hopefully it goes off without a hitch. And to be fair, most a lot of the times uh, we have to protect identities, departments, you know, uh, mm. half the people you've heard on this show have not used their real names. Um, and, right. and some of them have specifically said they won't identify their agencies because they don't want to say they are speaking for their agency. And speaking of not speaking for their agency, <laughs> we had this discussion just before we started this episode. Uh, Chuck, tell us, this is this is a fir- another first for us. Very excited. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's what caught my eye. It's Father Josh. Um, he is a current chaplain uh, in the United States Air Force. Um, and he wrote in and was like, hey, I think I have some things that could benefit some people. And I have some stories regarding things I've uh, done in those people I've talked to. And I'm like, wow. And I read some of them. I was like, well, okay, that's super interesting. Um, I think that it would really benefit a lot of people. So I reached back out and came back on, or he came on, not back on, but he came on. We were able to get it. Scheduled. Great. And it so was, yeah, it's great. Welcome father, Josh. Hi. First of all, um, how many times do people say, can I call you daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Bagel. Really? Oh man. Yep. I'm I get a lot of Padre. I'm going to hell. Uh, okay. So you are, it, it, when we say Father Josh, that's not a nickname. You are, in fact, a Catholic priest. Correct. Yep. We will. Been we a will. priest for 14 years. Yes. And so, and not only are you a Catholic priest, but you are an air, active duty Air Force chaplain. Correct. So tell us a little bit about yourself by taking us. I guess on uh, the trip that is, how do you become, how does one become both a Catholic priest and an Air Force chaplain? How did you end up where you're at? Uh, I was in high school, had a big conversion experience, had thought of being a priest before then. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to do this Catholic thing for real. Might as well do the priesthood thing for real and really start thinking about it, do some real discernment, that sort of thing. So I went to a Catholic college that had a program for guys thinking about becoming a priest. We call it discernment. It's a discernment program, that sort of thing. And God kept saying, yeah, this is what I want you to do. So I said, all right, I got a really hard head. If you don't want me to do this, you got to make it really obvious. Uh, and God just kept confirming instead. And so I did a year off, did some missionary work, um, and then went uh, to seminary because my bishop back home accepted me and everything. And God kept confirming things and, you know, you have your ups and your downs and he just kept saying, nope, this is what I want you to do. So that's what it was. It takes usually six to eight years for us to become a priest, uh, much less for uh, most other denominations. And some of our priests take longer. Like we mentioned Jesuits and stuff before we started, right. they could take like 12 or 14 years to become a priest and that sort of thing. So, wow. 
when yeah. when you call somebody father, it's all it's more intense than calling somebody doctor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's more years behind it. Sounds like I've had folks be like, "Hey, hey, Josh, what's going on?" I'll say, "I didn't go to four years of medical school just to be called father." And they'll give me a puzzled look. <laughs> right? Say, yeah, I just told you I didn't go to medical school. Come I on. didn't go to medical school to be called. Right. So you know, go ahead. I was gonna say, so in, when I was in the Marine Corps, our chaplain, um, he was uh, prior service, I guess. He was active duty, um, you know, just as a regular uh, Marine. And <clears throat> he uh, went on a few deployments, did a few uh, tours, I guess, or years in. And then um, he decided he wanted to be a chaplain and became a chaplain. So he was prior. And I, I noticed that trend a lot in the military where you have a lot of chaplains who are prior, you know, um, active duty, you know, um, stuff like that. Can you explain how you became a, a chaplain in the military? And like, sure. what was that road? Because you, you you went into the seminary and all that stuff. And then was it just whoop, nice and easy right into it? Or was there some other things that had to take place prior? It was, um, I was been a priest for a while. I had dreamed of being in the military when I was younger. And it didn't seem that's what God wanted me to do. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing the priest thing. I wasn't smart enough for the academy and didn't have ROTC at my uh, university, any of that stuff. So I was like, all right, well, whatever. I still like all the military stuff. I still enjoy military history, all that sort of thing. But I guess that's not my life. And then I was a priest for a few years and a buddy of mine's um, in the Air Guard. And he said, hey, have you thought about joining the Air Guard? And of course, my question was, what's the Air Guard? Right. <laughs> I've never the Army <laughs> right. Guard, never heard of the sure. Air Guard. And so I asked my boss, the bishop, and he said, no, wait a year. So I waited a year and then I did all the paperwork and I was able to join when I was um, roughly six years ordained. Uh, so I was just straight civilian and they do direct commission. And then one day I was a uh, first lieutenant in the um, Air Force National Guard. Uh, so for us, it's a little different um, because with uh, with our Air Guard and everything with us priests, they want more of us. So we don't have to do much at all. We just got to fill out the paperwork. Other people got to apply. They got to do a lot of work and they have to um, really get after it to join up and become a chaplain in um, Air Force or Air Guard. Uh, we're a little low in recruiting, so I think it's a little easier now, but you got to come in with your MDiv, your, min, your uh, master's in divinity. You right. got to come in with like three years experience on the civilian side. Um, I had, of course, more than that. So I came in as a first lieutenant instead of a second lieutenant. And then you got to pass all the normal officer stuff. So I had to go to officer training school. I had to um, go to a tech school to, for a chaplain side. And um, I got to do all the normal, dumb computer-based training. I got to go do a PT test. I got my PT test next week. Um, you know, I got to keep up with all the normal stuff and then all the chaplain stuff and then actually do the job. So so nice. first we have uh, Matt he's he's watching us live and he wants to know uh, did you have to go through regular basic training so i did the officer training that all right. of us officers have to do i didn't do the enlisted side um and right. it was uh shorter at the time but now it's uh, the same as the line officers so anybody who goes oh. through officer training school you're gonna have chaplains in your class and doctors and lawyers and all these different people previously we had our own special class with doctors and lawyers and stuff so answer my next question <laughs> right so that's okay so yeah. that's so many questions this is awesome uh, <laughs> yeah all right so correct me if i'm wrong right you're wrong I, okay perfect uh <laughs> so i understand i my my grandfather catholic mother raised catholic catholic school nuns all that stuff 
I was raised not Catholic. I was raised uh, evangelical. So I'm, I'm, I know, I know the differences. I could get it. One of my best friends is, you know, Roman Catholic, right? So, but I have some questions about the nuts and bolts of it, right? Here we go. You made it. To, you get, you get to be a priest, right? How do you go to? Is there a Catholic Church recruiting office? Do you, where do you go to apply? <laughs> Catholic, Catholic Church recruiting office, right? Like there's it's a similar. there's a Marine Corps recruiting office, there's an Air Force recruiting office. Like, do you go to your priest and go, "I want to be a priest," and he goes, "Well, oh, okay, there's a door. It's a hidden. <laughs> it's the HR department for the archdiocese." Like, just kind of talk me through that for a second because I want to wrap my head sure. around a couple of things because I I am going somewhere with this. I don't know who did you have to get permission from the the, the like who dispenses permission for you to join the air force instead uh, of my bishop being a regular priest. Right. So, so let's go back to you. You, you said the, the military is not going to happen. I go to seminary. How did you even like, where's the secret door? What's the knock? What is the combo of words that you have to say to get into seminary? Yes. Uh, step one is not calling my priest daddy. That was step right. one. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you tell your priest, hey, I've been thinking about being a priest. And he goes, great, or that's terrible, you know, depending right. on your priest. Uh, and then, yeah, with um, our diocese, our group of churches, what we, we call it a diocese. Um, I'm sure it's from something Latin, everything, you know, in our church is basically from something Latin 2000 right. years ago. Sure. And um, they have an office and they call it the vocations office. And they have different um, uh, names in the diocese, but usually it's something like vocations office. And Often there's a priest who's full time and his whole job is finding more guys to go to seminary and he'll go talk. It is Catholic a priest schools. HR. Yes. Very similar. <laughs> okay. And sometimes it's not just a priest. Sometimes or there's lots of people working there. The service. Right. Like LA, it's probably a huge office and there might be more than one priest. And there's probably a ton of people working there because they need just a shed load of priests because they have like 10 million Catholics or 5 million Catholics or some huge number in their diocese out in LA. Whereas out yeah, in Idaho not. or something, it's probably one guy and it's probably like his additional duty. If you want to talk military talk, by the way, I just want to talk about how impressed at a sideways cursor you are. Like you slide yeah, that's in pretty interesting. sideways <laughs> cursing so seamlessly. I j it's impressive, especially I'm no Philip rivers, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So, so you, uh, you get, into the priesthood and then once you when you know you they they kind of guide you through that like are you sure you want to do this yes are you really sure you want to do this right it sounds 100%. a lot like becoming a cop you go to a cop and you go i want to be a cop and either they go awesome or they go that's a terrible idea right yeah very very similar so so you become a priest you said just seminary takes six Year. eight years for eight. us for re regular wow. parish priests for yeah. regular parish priests so i'm assuming not all of that is just like college some of that's ojt like you have to be like a what it's the medical equivalent of a resident right you just do a our summer residency. yep our summer stuff is ojt for sure and then during the year we'll take philosophy a lot at first and less so later on we take a lot of theology later on I took history. Um, I had a neat, like, uh, sort of Catholic architecture class. We take Latin. We take a little bit of Greek. And um, I'm sure. Oh, and then of the theology, we take, like, 
scripture classes. We take ones that are specifically on doctrine and dogma. The philosophy side, I studied the ancient Greeks. I studied the Thomistics. I studied a whole bunch of different stuff because they want you to this is what's have so that cool about the foundation. Priest. Yeah, they want you to have a foundation, be able to talk to anybody. So from yeah. reason alone. And then wow. they want you to have the theology so you can talk to any Christian. Hopefully, once you get them to the existence of God, yeah. then you right. go, all right, here's where we go from the existence of God. And then hopefully bring them to the Catholic Church. And then you get into the parish and you don't use any of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. people well, don't care too much about the hypostatic union. They care, hey, my mom's sick. Uh, will you pray for her? Or will you help right. me? My wife wants a divorce. You know, things They like need that. the nuts and bolts. 100%. And occasionally... You need the philosophy and theology, but mostly it's um, see, I would want to be I'd want to like I always think of, you know, the cool priests that hunt vampires or, you know, those are the kind of jobs that I want to get those secret <laughs> Vatican jobs that we all 100%. know. Sure. Anyway, so so now you sure those real priests. <laughs> uh, did we was that confirmation? <laughs> so we, we, we did right. see that dumb priest movie where they hunt the vampires and they're like in the far future and they're on the train at the end and stuff. I saw um, it with a bunch of other priests because we had a big be awesome. conference. We laughed our rear ends off the whole time because it was just so dumb and they had like the cross on their foreheads so and stuff fun. and it was hilarious. Yeah, we were dying laughing. That would be fun. So so you do <laughs> you do your time, become the, the priest, the ominous dominus, your father Josh now. And your buddy is in the garden. He's like, you could be a chaplain or did like, how, oh, yeah. how did he connect? Like he talked to somebody, how do you connect? You're a priest. You should also join the air force. He's a priest chaplain as well. And he's still in the okay. guard. Oh, and so he's like, Hey, I did it. They'll treat you well. Don't go to the army. They're going to have long deployments and it's, you know, it's not as nice. It's not as cushy. And I was like, I'm all about cushy. And uh, they took care of me. So, <laughs> drill weekend like they'd let me do all my weekend obligations so i do mass and stuff like that and i wouldn't miss any masses and i would just uh, got to go play military a weekend a month so it was fun times i could just imagine how that conversation is like yo padre priest to priest i'm gonna tell you air force dog is much better they're gonna treat you right go don't go to that army right dog priest to priest i'm just keeping it real like that's exactly I mean, you could have gone to the could have gone to the marine corps only yeah, six to seven month deployments. Enough. Yeah. We do six month deployments. <laughs> it's a good deal. Yeah. So no, okay. So now that brings me to you. So you, you apply with your bishop. I, I asked my bishop for permission. Yeah. To go um, to the military. And uh, he's the one who says yes or no. Cause I have a promise of obedience to hear to sure. him. Right. So, so what he says goes. Right. Okay. So now. The bishop says, you know, I'd love to get rid of you for a while. And it happened to a buddy of mine. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> he, he, uh, they said, you know what you yep, should do? <laughs> pretty much. Okay. So now you actually ask. So he, like, he's the the bishop of your archdiocese. He's just like the head, the, the you know, manager, the, the regional manager for lack of a better word he's basically the pastor of a bunch of churches of exactly the diocese and he's right to be a pastor and he's yeah, a pastor, he gives pastor. yes or no right and so he tells you yes the, the 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 lord needs you to go join the air force that sounds like a good idea and then 
you go to a recruiter like everybody else or does the yep. bishop like call the air force and be like hey i'm sending you a guy he picks up his red <laughs> phone and he's like right. i got another one for you <laughs> no i, go, I went <laughs> to the recruiter or a navy blue okay <laughs> so i went to the recruiter and i'm like hey i got flat feet and he's like you have feet right i was like yes and he's like okay good nope just sign on the dotted line and started filling out the paperwork, went to MEPS, did the underwear Olympics, all that stuff. And, uh, and then went off to officer training a little after that. And then our chaplain training a little after that. And then I was fully fledged chaplain and officer, same as everybody else had to learn how to salute all that stuff. So what was the, Oh, go ahead. What was the chaplain training? Uh, like, was it, was it harder than what you went through, uh, to become a priest? Or was it yeah. easier? Or well, I imagine it wasn't six years long. No, no, it was like six weeks long. And it was all like the professional side of how to present yourself as a professional officer and these sort of things, because uh, we're not very professional. And uh, and it was right. not on the religious side. It was the nuts and bolts of uh, what it's like in the chaplain corps. And here's some of the paperwork you got to fill out. And here's how you deal with people. And OK, you're out meeting folks. Here's what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Here's some tips and tricks on how to do counseling better, things like that. Um, because you have um, imams and you have rabbis and all kinds of different ministers and stuff like that. So they wouldn't teach us how to be an imam, how to be a priest. You're supposed to know all that stuff well before you come right. to uh, the military. And it's important the longer I've been in the military, it's like, oh, I'm glad I had some experience counseling, some experience doing mass and everything like that, uh, because, you know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of different stuff. So you got to have some idea what to do. So nice. That makes sense. They obviously they're like, look, we we hired you because you're a priest, <laughs> not to send you to priest school. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. It's so my brother-in-law was going to go to dental school through an army scholarship or an Air Force scholarship where they said, "Yes, we will in fact pay for you to go to dental school." However, when you are done with dental school and are a dentist, you owe us 10 friggin' years of your life. Really? So, 10 years? Yes. Oh, yeah. Same for pilots. How, how long how long is the dental school? Six. Four years, I think, or six years? Four years of college and two years of dental school. Because ah. I thought I thought regular like um like officers, they only have to have an obligation of four years, and anything after that, they can just up and leave. Yep. No, he like this is because they paid for your school. You owe them 10 years of service in that profession so strange i guess the marine corps is different because i swear to god um when we were i was going through we had a mustang which is an enlisted going to the uh, ocs oh, yeah. and becoming an um an officer and he was telling he's like yeah i only had to do my what four maybe six years because they you know paid for whatever and maybe he already had his college i don't know and then he just had to serve his four years and then he could leave. And then he ended up actually just, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I served my four years. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and he just left. So I don't, it's, it's, just, it's, it's interesting. Is it different for other people? Oh, yeah. It's different for your job because I know a bunch of pilots. Oh. And so the pilots, they have a 10-year service commitment. And like by the year eight or nine, they're like counting the days so they can yes. go to the airlines and make a pile of money. Right. Because they're still making, I mean, they're making captain's pay or whatever. They're making but, great fucking money. Oh, yeah. There's good money, money, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard those words off. before. Chaplain, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, so 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 now you go to 
uh it's not ocs it's officer training academy or whatever it is what's whatever the acronym is ots yeah yeah it's officer training school so you go what is that like the bishop says okay and then you just kind of hang out doing your priest stuff until you're finished with your air force stuff and then sort of yeah then when you get your date you tell the bishop or you tell whoever this is when i gotta go and they're like okay bye pretty much and I, you know, I knew a few months ahead of time because they let me schedule it and I scheduled it so it wouldn't be on Christmas or Easter and um, and then went off for like six weeks. Um, the officer training for us was like about five weeks, a little less than five weeks. And then the chaplain training was, I think, six weeks. And then years later, um, I thought I felt God was wanting me to become an active duty priest, not air guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my bishop said, no. And I asked him a year later and he gave me a hard no. And he gave me an assignment trying to get me to quit the air guard uh, as wow. happens sometimes. It might've been somebody else there who made the assignment. He just signed off on it. And then a year later had a new Bishop and asked him and he was like, that's a great idea. We don't have any of our priests that are chaplains in the active duty and tons of people out there need them. And so I want at least right. one of my priests to be active duty chaplain. And I was like, all right, I'll raise my hand. Here's me. I find that's odd, you know, by your other, your other Bishop was like, Nope, absolutely not. Nope. Hard no. And now you're going to go do something else. You know, I find that strange because there are so many people in the military that really need that stuff. And, you know, we had to talk to some, some chaplains prior to a a deployment and, and they were really down to earth and it really made you feel, feel comfortable. And they, they spoke to you really well. And it just really made you feel, I don't know, better and there's so many people out there that need that and they go through the hard I mean, times they go through in divorce they're going through so. child custody they're going through 100%. yeah ptsd freaking losing their friends things like that and they need someone to talk to and they don't want to go talk to you know a shrink and this is like the next best thing and i i would always see them utilized so that's it's crazy because, it just crazy to me oh yeah because we don't have enough priests uh anywhere in the oh, u.s except for like maybe one or two places and back where i'm from we definitely don't have enough. So um, he Got just it. wants somebody who's uh, healthy and not ancient and in decent shape. He wanted him to stay home and stay in the state and that sort of thing. Right. So Got it. Oh, well. Makes sense. But the next one was like, we got to have at least one. So yeah. I said, I'd be that one. I mean, obviously, you know, they were hearing God in different ways. <laughs> and that's fine. Yep. <laughs> it is what it is. It's all good. Uh, Parish ministry, active duty stuff, all good. So now we had a Marine called Doc on, and he talked about having gone from being a corpsman to going through basic in the Marine Corps and having them find out he's a corpsman. How is it for you? Do they? Do you walk into officer school and and the priest coming through, chaplain, priest? Watch your language, boys. Like you know, does. Or how, like, is it, are you incognito? Like you don't tell people I'm a chaplain. Like just, how, what did I you I got do? a nice cross on bar. my uniform. Yeah. Other people had like, uh, you know, wings if you're a pilot or something. Right. And I forget all the different union insignia. Um, so you left it there. You didn't like, you couldn't hide it or you didn't, right? Like, nope. Because at the time, uh, and, they, and it is the same, it's still the case now, as soon as you're commissioned as chaplain, because you've had years of being,
being a minister or being a rabbi or being a priest like me. Um, right. So you have your insignia right on there. And so they know. Yep. But uh, I was just lieutenant so-and-so the whole time until we were getting close to an event and they needed a, one of the chaplains to do an invocation. There were only like four or five of us in the whole group. And all of a sudden it was chaplain, chaplain, how you do this for us? Hey, well, this, that, that sort of thing. And then the instant the event was over, I'd already done my invocation, that stuff. All right, lieutenant, let's go. And right. yeah, it was hilarious. Oh, <laughs> uh, pulling rank. That's I mean, funny. 100%. Oh, oh, so it's chaplain now. When you need somebody to pray. Oh, when you need the food blessed. Oh, when you're out of holy water. Oh, sure. There's vampires outside. Now it's chaplain. Exactly. Right? That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Minus the need for the holy water. But vampires, yes. You know, I kind of like that because it's still kind of like, say, you're a boot. You're still, you're going through training, yada, yada. You're, this is what you are. Um, but I do get it the other side. Like, look, dude, I've, I've done years of, of work. I'm, I'm a freaking priest. It'd be nice to be called chaplain, but I do get it, you know, and it, it, it kind of like, you know, it, it always upsets me when I see other um, boot camps like army and stuff like that. And they call them specialist or not specialist, but like a uh, PFC or, you know, private or, or whatever the fuck. But when you're going through like Marine Corps boot camp, it's fucking scumbag. It's, it's whatever it's recruit. You don't get to call yourself anything by the first person. It's always like third person. So I kind of like that when, you know, they kind of, kind of bring it back to the basics, even if you are a lieutenant, because it kind of grounds you a little bit for when you get out into what I would call the fleet or, you know, to your line platoons or wherever you're going. So I think that's a good thing, but I also, it's, it's kind of like you've gone through what eight years at this point, like how hard it is for a drill instructor to intimidate somebody who's already a priest. It's like, listen here. Uh, yeah. I got God on my side, dude. Nothing you can say. Can scare me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, uh, yeah, no, I liked being treated the same as everybody. And I'm sure and we had a doctor in our flight, and she was just Captain So and So. So right. now they treated us all the same, which was fine by wait me. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! What was this? Oh, because you're a chaplain, they bring you as a lieutenant. But because she's a right. doctor, she comes in as a captain. I'm calling BS right now because we just established <laughs> that becoming a, a priest is more difficult than becoming a doctor. Okay. Uh, definitely Just not saying. more difficult, but might take longer in some cases. But no, everybody was the same, and some of us right. came well, in. Well, your second boss lieutenant. is more difficult. How's that? True. Some first lieutenant, some captain. Yeah, we got we all we're all different ranks. Okay, so you uh, now you're in the Air Force. You're a full blown chaplain, and you have some things you want to share about that. So I, sure. I I I have so many more questions I could eat up all your time but I want you to be able to say the things that are important to you. So the floor is yours. We'd love to hear some of your experiences being an Air Force chaplain with, you know, the the priesthood behind you. In sure. Uh Mr. Chuck was interested in one. So years yeah. ago I was talking with a guy and he was doing extremely poorly and came in to talk to me and seemed mostly normal but i got talked to him and then all of a sudden the grief and everything was um pouring out and uh he had prior in the past been some kind of intel something like that and he had to watch people he knew die and you're not allowed to look away when you're doing these sort of intel um and right. you have to watch because you have to note everything and you have to see everything. And you can't just be like, I got to leave for five minutes or I know this person. I just can't watch right now or I got to do this or I got to do that. You just got to stare them full on and you can't do anything about it. 
And so imagine feeling so entirely helpless and seeing this happening and then seeing all kinds of other awful stuff because the people, as y'all know, um, that we fight or are in the areas that we fight do horrible stuff, horrible stuff to other people, horrible stuff uh, to their own people, horrible stuff, you know, all sorts of different things. So he sees all these different things and then is coming and talking to me about all, all of this stuff. Um, and there are some things uh, like a lot of the normal stuff, people coming and talking about uh, marital issues or boyfriend, girlfriend issues, or um, a lot of those sort of things and I'll forget by the time they're done. Uh, and it's just water off a duck's back and it's no big deal. And then every once in a blue moon, something comes and sticks with you, especially when you really feel for the person and they're in a very difficult spot and you just want to help them. And, you know, as chaplains, we just want to help everybody. We want to listen to everything. We want to get people in a better place. You know, if they're a better airman or soldier or Marine or sailor or whatever, eh, that's great too. But we care first and foremost about the person and we want them to be doing better. And so it just, it hurts a lot when, yeah, they're just, uh, they're not doing very well. And then they tell you about all these horrible things that they saw right. and that they experienced and that sort of thing. And occasionally it sticks with you. And so the week or two after that, you know, off and on, I was in a funk and I just, you know, had to pray and thankfully I got to see him getting to do a little bit better and that sort of thing, which is extremely helpful. But I was like, all right, I tell everybody, you got to eat right. You got to work out. You got to be social. Um, you got to have the spiritual pillar, which is um, we talk about meaning and finding your why and that sort of stuff. And of course, in the chapel, we talk about going to church and doing the sacraments and things like that. And so just had to redouble those things and not shove the feelings down, not compartmentalize, not deny the feelings that are, you know, okay, that, hey, I'm going through this stuff. Hey, it hurts, that sort of thing. But instead, right. address it, you know, full on and full in the face and be like, all right, I'm just doing poorly right now. And I'll try to do better and, you know, maybe tell people in the chapel and we want to help everybody. We never want to be helped. We want to support. We never want to be the one that has to take a knee and be supported. Uh, probably like you guys, probably like a lot of people. Um, and so we have to, you have to kind of suck it up and just not be too proud to say, Hey, I just need some help right now. I'm doing really poorly and I'm terrible about that. <laughs> I like preaching to other people. I don't like following what I preach. Um, and so you just got to be like, all right, I have to do a little bit better and I have to do what I can and I have to pray and I have to, uh, you know, continue with my why and these sort of things. And um, yeah. And, and you know, if I needed more help than I need, then I needed to open up because I had another case, something similar where it stuck with me. And so I just went like the next day to one of my chaplain friends, who's still a really good friend of mine, a mentor of mine. And I was like, Hey, this guy came, he said a lot of really heavy stuff and it's just kind of weighing on me. And he's like, all right, right, brother, what can I do for you? This and that. And he immediately there and immediately genuine, you could tell it wasn't just lip service and uh, it was extremely helpful. And, um, you know, you might feel a little embarrassed, might be a little difficult, but as I'm, I'm sure I've heard you guys say the same thing. You just got to speak up sometimes. And you just got to right. say, yeah. I'm not good. Right. It's, right. I think you're okay with not being okay. Yeah. I think talking and, and being able to have the testicle fortitude to find someone to talk to. And nowadays it's so freaking hard to find anyone to, to, to even get a therapist. You know, you might mm -hmm. take you a year to find one because no one's taking new clients. No, that the only thing that you have available is like a year out. Like, and then you're forced to go to the VA and you're like, I don't want to go to the fucking VA. Like that shit scares me, you know? And you got all that. And, you know, going through, I'm a peer support counselor through my agency. 
um, nice. for law enforcement. And we had a, a couple pilots um, in there uh, from uh, the rotary ring, uh, their airship pilots. So, and they were all overseas. And mm. we got to, we were in a vet to vet peer support course. So all of us were all veterans. And nice. so there was a point in the class where we're all talking about things that have affected us and things like that. There are a few people that spoke up, but the majority of the people that spoke up, the first and foremost, the ones I remember were the pilots. And they had something similar to the gent that you had come in and talk to you because mm. they had massive survivor's guilt. They would go and do, you know, strifing air runs and they would level places. They would get intel from people and be like, hey, this is where you're going to go drop, you know, bombs or you're going to, you know, you're going to take it. You're going to do close air support for the troops on the ground. And they would just smoke a lot of people. And then they had a lot of survivor's guilt because then they would see their buddies or the people that they're hearing over there, the radio just get fucking smoked. And they had a lot of animosity, I guess, or they had a lot of issues stemming from that. And they had to work through that because the survivor guilt was just through the roof because they were kind of helpless and they were up in the air and they really couldn't do much and they wanted to help, but they even their best effort, they couldn't, they couldn't save the guys on the ground. So the guy that you had come in, the survivor guilt must've been through the roof with him, mm -hmm. you know, having seen his buddies, having seen innocent civilian lives just get destroyed. And he has to sit there and watch it because he has to take the Intel in. Right. So mm -hmm. like, how heavy was that? Like for him to deal with, like, how was that survivor's guilt? Yeah, um, it sounds like all of it was real rough, um, just the entire experience and to the point where it had um, physical effects on him besides just being depressed and that sort of stuff. Right. And um, and yeah, and I was just and, you know, it's like, all right, and there's nothing to do. And his wife was, you know, in a different state and stuff. And so it wasn't like he couldn't just go and be with his family. He just kept having to see all that day in, day out. And then I think right. he got out of the intel because he just depressed and all these different things going on. And yeah, survivor's guilt. Yeah, completely you, rough, absolutely. Yeah. Can you speak to what that depression and possible anxiety or PTSD looked like to an outsider? So I don't have a lot of experience with PTSD, um, but uh, absolutely um, a lot of times there's anger a uh, lot of times uh, isolation, a lot of times there's depression, a lot of times um, they just withdraw and that sort of thing. Or sometimes they're really good at putting on a false front. And then if you get to know them better, you kind of see behind that and you see behind the mask and that sort of thing. Um, I uh, went through depression myself uh, in seminary because I had um, basically an injury and then wasn't working out. And then you don't get that usual endorphins or whatever it is. And, right. and then I just kept not working out. So it got worse, that sort of thing. And I just felt with, I withdrew from everybody except my really good friends. And I ate like a bunch of trash and gained a bunch of weight and didn't work yeah. out and wasn't social. And I uh, did the bare minimum of praying and doing the sacraments, bare minimum of class, slept a whole bunch, those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, seeing that sort of change in behavior is a big sign um, just, yeah, see somebody that's off, you know, we all have an off day, that sort of thing. Sometimes a couple days in a row, but you see somebody and they're just off for like a week right. or a month or whatever. It's like, you got to ask them, Hey, are you, are you good? You know, what's yeah, going on? Yeah. Right. So I, I'm curious, um, cause I personally, you know, I don't know how people can serve in the military serve police department, fire department, whatever, if you, when you deal with human suffering for a living, right? I don't know how you can do those things as an atheist, right? I, mm -hmm. I would only imagine 
or I can only understand from my point of view that it takes faith in something greater than yourself to get you through those tough times. And so I was curious if you have seen just anecdotally, I'm not saying you launched a study or anything, but say the difference between veterans who have faith Hmm. versus veterans who come to you with nothing. Right. So I imagine you have veterans coming to you that they don't, they're not Catholic. They just have nowhere else to turn. Right. Oh yeah. But I also imagine you get veterans who come to you that are Catholic or maybe aren't Catholic, but are Christian or, you know, yada, 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 yada. Is there a difference between watching a veteran or, or seeing how a veteran can be, can deal with things when they have faith versus somebody who comes to you with nothing? Um, so I didn't do the studies, but there's official studies. Um, and we had, I think it was a priest chaplain talk to us at one of our conferences or something like that. And they've done longitudinal studies or whatever the right word is. And yeah, if you have faith, then statistically you do better. I don't remember what the percentage was better, but it makes sense because you have that foundation and you have that outlet and you have that, um, we call it the spiritual pillar and you're just more solid on that side of things. And (laughs) does it mean you're a better person? Uh, Does it mean it should mean you're a better person? Often it doesn't, Um, you know, and you have everything else the same. It just means that you're more able to deal with things. And especially like your Catholic you thought about death before. Lots of young people never think about death. You've thought about what will happen. You've thought about morality. You've thought about all these things. And, um, and you know, then you can get into issues of moral injury and that sort of thing. Um, but no, they've done statistically, they do better if they have that um, religious side of things. The folks I see a ton are what we call unchurched. A ton are I haven't met very many like real edgy atheists, uh, a lot of agnostics, a lot of people who are just casual atheists, a lot who used to believe to some degree and don't really practice now. And then, yeah, there are some that have um, that practice for faith and things. And I'm very biased, but I like my Catholics that I interact with and they go through all kinds of stuff and I see them be active in their faith and I see them praying and coming to the sacraments and these sort of things and taking it to the Lord and that sort of stuff. And I see him go through all kinds of things, um, you know, from miscarriage to family passing, other family passing away to, um, you know, somebody passes away uh, in the line of duty, that sort of thing. Um, So I think, yes, that they definitely do better because they have that whole side of things and because they have, and they can sort of have a little bit more meaning in the tragedy and the suffering or offer the suffering up or these sort of things make the suffering worth uh worth something obviously right. suffering's going to happen obviously it's going to be difficult obviously it's going to hurt but you can make it sort of okay we're going to offer this up and we're going to make something out of this at least to a degree well and there's that sense that i think so many and and maybe this is just me kind of riffing off the cuff but I, I, when I look at so many people I know who are raised in faith and, and I'm talking across the board, right? Jews, Catholics, Christians, Baptists, Muslims, right? There is that Baptists, mm. right? but there is that, uh, y- you can't be any, you, like you're flawed. That's it. Like accept it. Right. Like 
it it acknowledges the flawedness of humanity in its fundamental core. It, it it you belong to any religious group, pretty much for the most part, with the exception of the wingnut. Like I'm talking about the standard Judeo Christian Allah God Yahweh pick. They they all, all the big three stem from that. Okay, that's where we're at. Okay, there is this sense that there is something better than us. We are flawed. We have something to aspire to be, right? I believe that in its heart, people who serve in the military, people who serve police department, you know, there is a smaller percentage of people that do it because they can get away with cruelty or their egocentric, you know, little man's complex makes them want to be a cop and tell people what to do. Yeah, but I don't think that's the majority. And when you have that sense of duty, that sense of I, I, I should do this because I can. I should serve because it makes the world a better place. Having a sense of something outside of yourself, that sense of service, that's what really comes from, is serving something outside of yourself. And I tell people all the time, if you're sad, if you're depressed, if you're, if you're going through it, right? If you go out and do something for somebody else, the quickest way to get yourself out of your own shit is to go and do something for somebody who's got it worse than you do. And I firmly believe that that ethic of I am just as big of a piece of crap and it's only because I have something higher than myself to aspire to. Those are the dri- those are the the driving forces that are common among people of faith versus when you get people who are not raised with in faith. Now it's just well, did their parents instill in them the idea that we're all flawed humans with something better to aspire to? Or did the parents not instill them any idea about the nature of humanity? And then you get into the people who they don't have anything to believe in. So therefore, there's nothing to worth believing in. That's sure. just my dime store observations from listening to people who both have faith and don't have faith that have done service. And the whole side of forgiveness. Um, yeah, right. At times you might not feel like you deserve forgiveness or you're worth forgiveness or you should even go towards right. forgiveness. But in a lot of traditions, and just yesterday I went to confession myself, and to hear you are absolved of your sins, or I absolve you of your sins, you know, what the priest said, says is amazing. And a lot of times, People come out and they tell me all the times, I feel like I have a burden lifted from my shoulders. Um, and even more so on the priest side of things, when doing confession, um, you know, you don't remember really any of it. And so it's just, it's amazing and it's and it's very beautiful at times to have that. And I think that can be helpful for a lot more people to know they are forgiven. And yeah, you need to go forgive your fellow man or woman. And yes, you know, you need to accept that forgiveness and be open to forgiveness and these sorts of things. But yeah, that's an amazing side of it as well, is to know that you've been forgiven and to then be able to grow from that and heal and those sorts of things. I think I this just <laughs> occurred to me. So I'm making this connection on the spot based on something you said, but it it, it I think it's innate in all of us because we know this it, in childhood when we mess up, right? We spill or we drop something and we look at our parents in a panic or we look at our teacher in a panic. And they go, it's okay. Everybody makes a mistake. Just apologize. We'll clean it up and then we'll move on. And the relief you feel when somebody tells you, yes, you did screw up. 
Everybody messes up. Let's clean it up and move on. It's okay. That's that's that absolution, right? That's that's the mechanism at work, right? That a parent absolves a child of dropping milk the same way a priest absolves a husband of impure thoughts or whatever, right? Whether if that's what you believe. And so maybe there's a component of we know it in our younger days, but then we lose sight of it as we get older because let's face it, shit gets a lot more complicated. <laughs> Yes, things do get complicated. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. You said weird that. conversations that I, I'll get. I could spend hours getting deep into the woods on like, why does a human body get four ounces lighter at time of death? You know, I, how much does the soul their weigh? soul leaves their body? I, anyway, um, so let's talk about the confessor. I obviously I, I know when it comes to talking about confession. We can talk about it theoretically. We just can't talk about it specifically. Again, it's the same thing with counseling. Uh, all the chaplains in the military, right. as far as I know, we have 100% confidentiality. So that's why I kept it very vague. Uh, general, I'm not right. talking, I'm not going to attach anything to anybody. Same thing with confession. We'll talk about in general. I've had people right. come to me for this or for that, but I'm not going to say Chuck came last month and told me about wet in the bed. You know, we're not. Oh, we're not yeah, yeah. I know he did. I know he did. I know he asked, said that to you. So, yeah. Uh, no, I so I'm my drink that beer before bed. <laughs> I'm curious about, move. uh, I know, right? Yeah. As far as um, people coming to you, not with survivor's guilt necessarily, but with that, I have done terrible things, you know, and how, how hard. This is one of the things that I want people to understand about um, Father Josh, as the confessor for these people, you say that you, it's like water off a duck's back. And I get it. That's a defense mechanism because you can't take on the world's problems. I would imagine that that was a skill that they taught a lot in seminary, or at least pre hopefully prepared you for was you can't internalize this. You can't personalize it. You know, maybe, maybe in confession class or no, um, whatever it was. Kind of, but a lot of us, I know some priests, they take it as just a special grace that we priests are given that 99% of the time we totally forget it immediately. Right. And it's, um, you know, let's say like you're talking about being a cop and let's say you have domestic violence or something like that. And you've written a hundred of them in a year or something like that. Um, how often do you remember each and every one of those? You know, it comes in, let's say, every couple of days or right. every week or something like that. You're not going to remember it very well, even without any kind of special training, because you're going to be like, I saw five of those that week or I saw 10 of them that month. And so it might be a special grace. And I hope it's a special grace that God gives us priests. But it might just be, you know, it's not something that's going to affect us. And it's something that happens. And I've heard a lot of priest confessions and priests get into most of the same sins as anybody else. And for a lot of situations, like, all right, yeah, there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, that sort of thing. Like I, you know, if I hear somebody talking mm -hmm. about, oh, I did drugs or something like that. Personally, I didn't do drugs in school, but a bunch of my friends did and I could have easily gotten into it, you know, but again, they're both the grace of God, go I. And so, right. yeah, it's similar with confession stuff. I just didn't get we didn't caught. Have yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, we don't have a lot of training on that side, but not a lot of it is just like, it's not a big deal to the, you know, it's not going to be something that really sticks with us. And it's usually not noteworthy. You know, really, do I hear anything new 
Um, and if you do, it's just, okay, that's weird, but just keep going. So that was, that was everyone where that then is because if you're hearing people confess the things that are burdening their soul as I had, I, 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 father, I've done this terrible thing in service of my country, you know, father, I've done this and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And you're hearing these things, obviously you are able to not even compartmentalize. You just don't even internalize it for the most part. And that's, is that, that's, so that's like you said, you feel like that's a grace. That's not a, I was going to ask, that's not a training. That's not a defense mechanism. That's not something you built over time. That's kind of a blessing for you guys, I guess, then. Are there ones that there's no, there's nothing you can do. It breaks through and how do you, is that when a priest that's the priest's priest, the confessor's confessor, right? Is that where, when you take, where you take that or wh when it gets to be too much for you, what do you do? Do you, can you take leave of the air force and be like, I gotta go for a while. You know, how does that work? You gotta, you gotta do your, you know, they talk, it's stereotypical, but people talk about self-care and that sort of stuff. You gotta do that all the time. You can't just be like, you know what, I can hardcore it and I'll just do five hours of sleep at night. And I'm just going to do that for the near future. No, you got to be getting your sleep at night. Oof. You got to be eating somewhat decently. You can't just live off of, you know, trashy uh -huh. food out of the grocery store or the uh, convenience mart. You got to uh, be praying regularly. You can't just be like, oh, I prayed a bunch yesterday or last week. I don't have to pray today. No, you got to keep praying. Got to keep talking to family and friends and doing the social side and these sort of things. And then that helps immensely just getting all the little things adding up to the big things. And then, yeah, when the big thing comes along, you got to just take a knee or you got to do even more of the other stuff of praying, right. of uh, going and doing stuff with folks, of, you know, just doing your job and that sort of thing. And probably the same as you guys. And serving others. Hmm. Yes. And doing stuff for other people is hugely helpful. Yeah. Right. And okay. you, you, uh, you said that, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, you have a bunch of people come in for confessions and, you know, you don't remember everything, but there are a few times where people come from counseling or confessions that they do stick with you because they, they not only affect affected that person, but now they're affecting you because the story was so horrific or it was so like intense and you're like, Oh my gosh, now you need to talk to someone. And like right. you said earlier, so have there been any that have really stuck with you that have, you've been like, Oh man, like, I needed to really get on my self care because this like is really affecting me in my life. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, confession wise, not too often. Usually when someone comes with something really horrible, um, like I remember with a lady who had um, came with abortion, um, she had had an abortion, that sort of stuff. Usually what I remember is how beautiful it is when they finally get it off their heart, when they finally get it off their chest and they finally have gone and sought forgiveness for this and they're finally reconciled to the Lord and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's such a privilege um, in the best sense of the word, not the woke sense of the word, to be one that's there and to share that with them and to have God act through me to offer them that forgiveness for something so terrible. Um, and then they're able to be brought back to the Lord and be considered exactly the same as everybody else in the church. Um, and so uh, it's just beautiful that they're able to come back. Um, there was one time in counseling a bunch of years ago, um, a guy came and talked about how he had um, experienced rape um, and he'd been raped by some guy and he had been drugged or something like that. Um, and 
and he came, I don't know, a couple sessions or something like that with me. And that stuck with me. And I had to go to the self-care and I had to go talk to my mentor, um, just brother to brother, chaplain to chaplain, had to just go do my regular stuff and just realize, all right, I was in a bit of a funk for a couple of weeks afterwards and that sort of thing. And then it was very nice to see him do a little bit better, which doesn't happen all the time in counseling. Uh, most of the like, time, like 90% of the time, I see somebody once and I'll see him again. But in that case, it was nice really? to see that do a little bit better. That much, 90%. Oh, easy. I mean, a ton of the time, somebody yeah. comes once for counseling wow. and then I don't see him again. It might just be an Air Force thing. It might be my base thing. That's um, mind-blowing. But I, mean, I get a lot I of walk-ins. You just said 70% of it. I'm like, oh, that's high, but okay. 90%. I get a lot of people, they just having a real bad day and I got to talk to somebody and they want to talk to somebody where I can't take away their, basically their pilot's wings, or if they're um, a cop on base, I can't take away their gun, any of those sorts of things. Right. Um, and they can just say anything to me. They can come and say, Hey, I'm feeling suicidal and I'm going to murder the whole base. And I'll just be like, okay, let's talk about that. All right. Uh, obviously you're coming to me. So you want help. Let's, uh, let's get you some help for those things and uh, let's get you over to the mental health people or that sort of thing. But they can just come and say anything. And usually it's nothing that would get them disqualified anyway, that would take away their gun or take away their flying status and stuff like that. Right. But they just are so afraid of anything affecting that they won't tell anybody. And it's like, okay, come tell me and then I'll talk with you and then I'll point you to the right person. If you need more help, and uh, we'll see, we'll try to do this whole process. Uh, you know, they do their part. I don't go to the mental health forum or anything, but I was like, yeah, and then we'll see if we can do it without you getting your status taken away, whatever. But just having an outlet helps a ton of people. And sometimes they just need to come and vent for a little while. Um, Cops are like that. Right. Time, I'm sure. There's a, there's a huge component of you can't reach out for help because if you do, you'll lose your job. Yep. yep. Or get put on the rubber gun squad or whatever. Best well, duty or something like the that. existence, the existence of the phrase rubber gun squad will mm -hmm. tell you exactly how law enforcement views people that ask for help. No desk right? pop, not allowed. Right. No desk pops. <laughs> you don't get one. Yeah. Like you get to, you get after a shooting, you get sent to a, a psychologist, a shrink, a head shrink for, you have to do a minimum of three visits. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I want to see you back for more. And you're like, oh, fuck. But you only really open up just a little bit. Because you're like, if I say something, I could possibly lose my 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 gun, or I could possibly lose my career, or something something crazy. So you don't fully open up. You are now, incentivized to be fine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, they want to get you field certified, get you back in the field as fast as possible. I remember I got in my shooting, and the freaking lieutenant comes down. He's like, "All right, I'll see you back tomorrow." And I said, uh, "No." you will not see me tomorrow. He's like, no, no, you're coming back tomorrow. I said, no, no one should be coming back tomorrow. We just got into a shooting where we shot someone. Like, I don't think so. And he was like, no, you're coming back. He's like, you already talked to the, 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 the psych. You're going to, you're going to come in tomorrow. And I said, I'm not coming in tomorrow. I shot someone for you to protect everybody's lives. No. And he's like, oh, and I was like, you're not making me come in. I don't, I don't think you understand. I was like, I'm not coming in tomorrow. I will not be here for probably the next week or two. And I said, I am going to have to talk to someone. This isn't going to be easy. It's not something that you just, oh, you get into a shooting and you go right back into it. I, I get it if you're on deployment and you have to do these things, you know, but if you're stateside as a law enforcement officer working deployments for 10 to 8 to 10 to 12 hours every day, and then you go off on some days off, you have so much time 
downtime to think. And if you don't handle that stuff and don't talk to someone, those demons eat you up. And that's how officer suicide happens. That's how domestic violence has happened. That's how a lot of shit happens. And you don't talk to anyone and then you get bad PTSD. So, and a lot of, a lot of the fear comes from, you know, Hey, the shrinks, if you say something wrong, they're a mandated reporter and they're going to have to, even though it's well, confidential, it's confidential. They're to on the point department's dime. And so right. So it's confidential. Time, they have an ob obligation to right. report to the department. It's not like the priest where, it, God bless it, at least with like, you know, you go to a, a priest in the Air Force and you tell him he can't tell anybody like that. At least yep. there's that, which. So that there's nothing that huge. Right. Help. So there's nothing that you could say to a priest that they would have to be mandated at some point to say something. Or is there a point where you're like, okay, no, now I'm really going to have to say something. Isn't there a point? The, yeah, there is a point, right? In the Air Force, I'm 100% confidential. Um, and I think the actual um, Air Force instruction, the AFI mm. says something like, you know, when it's a counseling situation. So like if I was just um, in the um, dining facility and somebody is at a table and he's like, I'm going to shoot everybody in here. And there's just people around and it's not a not even intended whatsoever to be a private thing. There's, you know, he, there's, he's talking with other people and they're coming and going. Um, as far as I know, that's something where it's not understood to be confidential because there's people coming and going. He's right there at the table right. with other people, that sort of stuff. That's, um, I don't think we're a mandated reporter in that situation, but it's not considered confidential. But no, somebody comes to me in counseling, um, it's 100% confidential. They could say, yeah, I'm going to kill everybody and I'm going to go run over a kid or, you know, any of that stuff. No, oh, wow. on the, civilian side depending on the state as long as it's not in confession i'm a mandated reporter so somebody comes to me does just spiritual direction not confession not the sacrament they just want to come and talk about spiritual things or get advice or whatever and they say yeah and i'm going to go home and abuse my kid i have to report that um if it's in confession they said hey i beat up my kid and i ran over grandma and i did this and that in confession it's 100 percent confidential it's 100 percent we would rather oh, wow. go to prison than report that sort of thing if you're doing your job as a priest. Um, but yeah, in the in the military, as far as I know, all of us chaplains know we have that 100% confidentiality so that people feel comfortable coming and telling us I'm cheating on my wife or, um, you know, I'm having a terrible day at work or these sort of things. So they know that nothing will be reported, even if what they're saying is not worth being reported over. Okay, so note yourself, right? only use the air force chaplain yes <laughs> not yeah like counselor. <laughs> for us for the counseling they would be like every anything that anyone says to you is 100 percent confidential unless it's major misconduct like they just killed a bunch of hookers and they have them in the trunk of their patrol car and you know or they're 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 burglarizing or robbing houses or convenience stores off duty or you know crazy things like that then you are mandated to report it. But anything shy of that, like anything that's not major misconduct, no one can get that info out of you. Not the, the chief of police, not their captain, your lieutenant, your sergeant, anyone. No so one can get that unless it's major misconduct. And that's it. Yeah. Yep. So, well, I, I will cool. say that uh, it's amazing how fast time flies when you get to ask questions from a priest. Yeah. <laughs> very funny. I would I would sit here and uh, seriously it's not even a joke I would sit here and just rap with Father Josh about you know Jungian versus Freudian I would love to talk to you about Aristotelian and I would love to talk to you about uh, you know the Stoics you know the Stoics and Stoicism and but 
Um, we don't have time. That's not this show. This is not. This is not the Father Thomas Aquinas podcast. Uh, uh. This is yeah, so. Anyway, uh, you as 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 our listeners know, we allow our guests to dedicate an episode to uh, someone of their choosing, and you do have a dedication. Is that correct? Captain uh, Jay, I won't use uh, any more than that, but um, yep, he would be one I'd like to offer the, or to dedicate the show to. Okay, Captain Jay. Uh, we can't mm-hmm. say any more than that, but uh, obviously, rest easy, brother. We've got it from here. Um, and Father Josh, it's been fascinating to talk to you. I, yeah. I, I, this was a personal pleasure for me. And I, like, listeners, you, if you're like, oh, God, they're interviewing a, priest who's a <laughs> chaplain it's there's no gunfire and there's no death blah, blah. fine i liked it so shut up it's my show chuck and i chuck and i had fun we're in charge yeah suck it trebek yeah I, I like it our show is about what we want and we uh will bring you guys some good stuff but we also going to do some things that uh that, that we like and uh that we find interesting so uh and also it's to shit. help you fuckers you know exactly and if <laughs> i think that this would help me good. I think it'll help you. So, hey, you got someone to talk to you if you're in the military and you're struggling, find a chaplain. I spoke with a chaplain uh, before. He was real cool. Um, and I want to say thanks to everyone for listening. If you like today's podcast and the content we provide, please follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook. Our uh, Instagram is war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, like and share our posts. Uh, follow us on YouTube. Um, Go to our, our website, www.warstoriesofficial.com. Grab some of our merch. If you think you have a story you want to share, you have a friend, go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. I can get you booked. We're always looking for veterans, law enforcement, firefighters, medics, nurses, dispatchers, and corrections. Thank you for the support. Yep. Stay safe. Yep. And so uh, I will I will put uh, our father on the spot a little bit and say, do you know the hymn I use at the end of the, the show? Do you know this hymn? Is this the Navy hymn? No. Well, is Marine Corps him? This is, we've had listeners ask this. This is Abide With Me. Ah. Yeah. So until our next episode. Totally failed. With your shield or on it and enjoy the last refrain of Abide With Me. <laughs>